I always love coming to California. I find it a very pleasant place and uh, a place that it would be very difficult to, to be, be sad and depressed in. <laughs> I was telling my friend the other night, you know, this is like heaven. I love here. <laughs> Actually, in, in a way, apropos to what I wanted to talk about today, too, because um, the, other, the other night we um, looked at uh, attending to the body and why we attend to the body and the insights that are derived from doing that. And uh, today I, I wanted to talk about feeling, the experience of feeling and um, how we attend to that and the insights that are derived from doing that as well. So this pleasant feeling about the weather can be one that can be, can be contemplated and uh, understood from within. So um, it's a very important topic because feeling um, in uh, Buddhist circles is often talked about as the key to liberation. Um, it's a, uh, the capacity to, to have a direct experience of feeling and contemplate it appropriately can literally take us all the way to freedom. And there's a lot of different reasons why, and I, I hope to be able to offer some thoughts that help and shed some light on that today. So, uh, just understanding how, what it is and how it operates uh, is uh, kind of the basis of it all. So, uh, one considers that according to the Buddhist teachings, that at, at birth, basically, we're, uh, when there is incarnation, uh, we, we get issued this body and mind. I mean, it goes with the territory. It's part of the experience, you know. And uh, how we experience is through the, the physical and the mental realms. And uh, through the body, essentially, we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. And through the mind, we think and feel. So uh, these experiences are taking place at what the Buddha called the six sense doors. Um, and the eye door, the ear door, etc. Uh, where at, at, it's a point at which contact takes place. And um, from the moment that we're born until the moment that we die... He tells us that if you pay attention, you'll notice that there is a constant experience at these levels, these six sense doors, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, slash feeling. So our discussion of feeling really starts here, because what he says is that that moment of contact, that moment of direct experience um, at one of these sensory levels, is always accompanied by or has what he calls a feeling tone. Um, It cannot be separated from it. Uh, The experience of feeling he's describing as we find things either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So each moment of contact has this kind of tone to it. You know, and for myself, I I remember early on in practice, I, I would take these teachings and I just really wanted to get it and see it. I had a tremendous uh, earnestness in my own practice. And so I, I picked this particular teaching up and I was determined to actually see feeling arise, you know, to, to s- discern it as distinct from contact. Um, and it was, it was kind of like another thing I did, which I don't recommend doing <laughs> early on in my practice, where I was uh, sitting a, a long um, retreat, like a three-month <coughs> retreat at IMS, and um, I, was getting, I was very frustrated with the fact that uh, I was enjoying sleep too much, you know, <laughs> and uh, like wanting to stay in bed 
in the morning and, and uh, uh, you know, couldn't wait to go to bed in the evening, that kind of thing. And so I was, uh, I took it upon myself to decide, determine to actually see the moment of, of, of uh, where one goes unconscious, you know. I wanted to see that happen because I had this idea that there was something in that. If I could just see it, you know, that that would remedy the whole thing. So I stayed up this one night and um, sat on my cushion and I was the only one in the hall. And, you know, it was one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and I was still there and I still hadn't fallen asleep and still hadn't seen this moment, you know. And then just all of a sudden, it's like from one moment to the next, you know, the whole body just went, you know, I just did this dive bomb forward and hit my head on the floor. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what it is, you know. And, and, you know, seeing the foolishness in that moment, the whole idea is that you go unconscious, you know, you're not going to see it, you know, <laughs> it just happens. And, you know, it was very um, similar to this, to trying to, to see feeling, uh, you know, that maybe it was a little bit foolish to try to discern it as distinct from contact, because that's the point he's making in this teaching, that it happens, every moment of contact is, is inseparable from this feeling tone. And so uh, the effort then is one of just noticing the constant parade of pleasant, unpleasant, and neither uh, moments, you know, and, and just tuning into that. And then, you know, when I gave up the idea of trying to discern it as distinct, then uh, one just tunes into the actual experience of it. And I began to notice over time, you know, that you can get very sensitized to this experience. It's like from one moment to the next, if you're tuning in at, at, a, at a subtle feeling level, it's almost like you start to see life as this constant parade of contraction and expansion and sort of nothing, you know, <laughs> so that the, the pleasant and the unpleasant and the neither are experienced very directly in this way. So that, you know, I started to feel it more like it, it has a very visceral uh, quality to it, very much something you feel uh, not just in the mind, but in the body. And so, you know, I started to notice it as like, you know, this, this like, Ugh. ah, you know, ah, it's this constant movement of experience of that. And then um, feeling uh, that the neither is sort of like, you know, nothing, not, not a whole lot going on. Um, but there is, you know, this was sort of a puzzle to me at first, what was he saying, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But when you start to notice the contraction and the expansion, you know, then you also notice that there's a lot in between there, you know. It's like every now and then you have a good laugh and every now and then you have a good cry. But a lot of it is just kind of um, neither, you know. A lot of life is that. So actually this is very important. I'll talk some about this in a minute because uh, we need to tune into this uh, uh, as much um, uh, as the other two. So uh, the, part of it, was, it wasn't so important to see it. It was important to feel it. And the other bit about it, why it's so important, is that um, one begins to discern what happens next. You know, when you don't um, see it or when you aren't quite tuned into it, the tendency, which is highly, highly conditioned in all of us, is, and it's actually something that I think has its roots sort of in our reptilian brain. You know, it's a very instinctive impulse is to get more of things that we find pleasant and get away from things that we find unpleasant and just sort of check out, 
you know, just sort of when, when there's not a whole lot happening. So that's the tendency, very, very strong. The Buddha calls it proliferation, essentially. But the, the, the end product of that proliferation are these states of um, greed, hatred, and delusion, which um, is, you know, they, these figure very strongly in the teachings because they constitute our suffering. You know, not only is the experience of these painful and difficult, um, but they make us do things, you know, that cause a lot of suffering for ourselves and others. So the idea here then is just to to begin to notice um, what's going on. Uh, Just noticing this little internal response. You know, like with something that's pleasant, it's sort of like a giddiness that begins to happen. You know, it's like, ooh, I like that, you know, I want more, get me more. You know, and with the, the feeling uh, of something that's unpleasant, it's, it's like, you know, you get that yuck and you get that contraction in the gut, you know, get me out of here, this isn't fun, I'm not enjoying this, that kind of uh, uh, expression. And the neither, I remember the first time I actually think I I tuned into this in a very precise way. I actually had this thought. It was like, uh, hey, where'd everybody go? (laughs) It was like, oh, there was like something exciting happening and now it's not happening anymore. Or or something difficult happening and now it's not happening. It's just nothing, you know. Um, Just that, that feeling that actually makes one want to take a nap or, you know, turn on the television or go get something to eat or something, you know. There's not not much happening. So uh, these moments of feeling uh, are what we're trying to tune into, to get to the actual experience of those. And in a way, leave it at that, because in these moments of escalation, the actual experience of feeling uh, escapes us. Uh, we're actually almost in, in a finger snap, caught in greed, hatred, and delusion, uh, without even seeing it happen. So, uh, you know, it's sort of like turn around and stay with the actual experience. Now, um, I think this is all um, very important to begin to notice. This, just to begin to notice these strong tendencies and um, recognize that the conditions that they established—the greed, the hatred, and delusion. Are, are karmically very weighty, which means that we're going to suffer when we're caught in these states. And the whole um, focus of the Buddhist teachings is to free us from suffering. So, you know, I think this is why the Buddha gives so much attention to this. He wants us to stop suffering, you know, tune in to the experience of, of uh, pleasure, pleasure, pain, and neither. And that will actually be a non-suffering state. Let me just read just the, the language that uh, he uses here. And this is in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is, the, as you know, the, the main instruction on the meditation practice. How, uh, what we need to become aware of, um, and uh, very specifically how to be aware of that. So when he's talking about contemplating feeling, he says, And how bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating feeling as feeling? Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling a painful feeling, he understands, I feel a painful feeling. And when feeling a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. 
And he goes on to discern that even uh, more precisely, looking at worldly, what he calls worldly and unworldly, pleasant and unpleasant feelings, which is very interesting as an aside, where he's actually making the distinction between pleasure that comes from the sense realm, you know, strawberry cheesecake or something like that, and pleasure that comes from renunciation of the sense realm, which is very important to begin to see, because as practitioners, you, you begin to notice that there's a great happiness in surrendering the sense realm. You know, uh, there's a, a great sense of disease when one can't. You know, this is like the unworldly uh, experience. So it, I think the language is very important. He's saying, uh, be notice feeling. And some of the translations say in the feeling and some say as feeling, which either way, I think it's getting across the message that he's trying to get across. Be in the experience of feeling, which means not in all our thoughts about it, but actually in the direct experience of feeling and noticing it as feeling, you know, with, without adding anything to it. So this is all this is all very very helpful um, in, in terms of instruction and in, in what to do and how to do it. I think just as an aside too, I, I wanted to make note that the teachings offer a lot in terms of helping us understand this as well, because um, the, the Buddha tells us that everything up until this point, you know, having a body and mind, having the sense doors, having contact at the sense doors. And even having the experience of pleasure and pain and neither, that all of this um, is has been set in place. There, there is this is all up until this point the fruit of past actions. It's what we call resultant karma. There's nothing to be done about it. <laughs> you, you can't change the fact of any of this. You know, which is a, a, a marvelous release in one sense, in and of itself, just to get that, to, to grok that fully, that the, the actual experience of pleasure and pain and neither is totally inevitable and unavoidable. You know, so it, it, I don't know about you, but that sort of helps me just go, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. And, and so this tendency to argue about that uh, or, or want it to be some other way can be short-circuited right then and there. But I, I think that um, he's also saying in that, in no uncertain terms, that even though this tendency to move into greed, hatred, and delusion from these three experiences is strong, that that bit is not set in place. That bit is not foreordained. That bit we have some way to manage and in a way control. We don't, you don't have to do that. And so this is like the incredible hopefulness in the Buddhist teachings that there is the, the potential and the very real potential and opportunity for freedom from suffering because these states are the suffering states. You know, as I said, in and of themselves, they are painful and they cause us to act in ways that cause harm for ourselves and other people. So this whole thing can be short-circuited. You know, that's, that's the potential here. And what, what he's saying is that a lot of it has to do with tuning in to this actual experience of feeling and getting more and more precise in our discernment of it uh, and our experience of it. 
So, really, the practice involves two approaches, um, two things that are going on at the same time. <coughs> Excuse me. First of it, of all, is just noticing this distinction between pleasure and greed, uh, unpleasant feeling, and uh, the aversion that will follow it, and neither, and the checking out. Just noticing, beginning to really get keen on those two, because you can see it. You, you can see it happen. And um, that, that's critical, just to be just that much, uh, without even doing anything about it. Just noticing that is huge. It begins to break the habit. You know, that right there will begin to break the habit. But the other bit, which I think gets really, really interesting <laughs> in practice, is um, developing the capacity to actually be fully with the pleasure, the pain, and the neither. You know, that's, and that's huge, because actually, in a way, you ha- we have to, as practitioners, not only be willing, but able to take on, literally take on, this highly instinctive tendency. You know, it's almost like our, our uh, evolution or our instinctive tendencies are actually counter-enlightenment, you know, because we keep following uh, these experiences of pleasure and pain and neither. And so uh, what he's saying, I think, is, um, you know, pull it on the reins a little bit, hold it up there, go, notice the experience of these three and leave it at that. You know, notice it, see feeling in the feeling, see feeling as feeling, and leave it at that. <laughs> it's like that, but that, if you see what's being said in there, that means literally, in a way, turning around and facing the monster, you know, because it's like uh, everything is pushing us in another direction. So stay with the actual experience. And uh, it's enlightening because a, a lot of our impulse and uh, compulsion is um, moving in this other direction. So just kind of take that force on. And when we do that, you know, it's, I mean, to me, this is what practice is all about. This is the, the nuts and bolts of practice right here. You know, it's, it's being willing to um, stay with these three and have insight into them and understand this as part of our experience as human beings. There's no avoiding uh, pleasure, pain, and neither. And you get, you get some wonderful surprises when you start to practice like this. Uh, many years ago, I had um, a really uh, strong experience in this regard with something that happened in my life that I wouldn't have expected it to be a source of um, such release and such understanding. But it was a, a situation where I was house-sitting and animal-sitting for a friend. And um, she had two cats and a dog. And before she left for the weekend, she sat me down and gave me all the instructions, you know, what, when to feed, how to feed, you know, who to feed and all of this. And, and just uh, filling me in on their behaviors uh, so that I would be familiar with them. And... Um, and uh, with the cat, one of the cats, she was saying, oh, well, this one, you know, it, uh, she tends to go out at night and hunt and uh, she may not come back, you know, uh, uh, before you go to bed. But don't worry about it. There's a kitty door. She knows her way in. She'll find her way in. And um, 
uh, you know, just you know, don't worry about it. Uh, she'll be she'll be there in the morning. So, sure enough, the the second night, um, you know, it was time for me to go to bed, and the cat wasn't back. And so I was concerned, and I went out in the yard, and I looked for her, and I called her, and and all that, but she didn't come. And then I remembered the instruction, you know. I said, okay, you know, she'll she'll find her way back. It'll be okay. And I went to bed. And uh, the next morning, um, my friend came back uh, pretty early. And uh, as she walked in the back door, I could see that she was holding the cat in her hand. And she was dead. And she had uh, been run over by a car in the night, you know. Uh, I didn't know it, obviously, and um, it's a horrible thing to have happen. I mean, you know, you, you don't want this kind of thing to happen when you're taking care of your, your friend's animals, you know. And it was, oh, that sinking, that horrible sinking feeling. Um, and uh, we stood there and, you know, looked at each other and talked about it a, a bit and, you know, went over the instructions again. Did I get it right? You know, just um, obviously very anxious and nervous and... Um, uh, sad about this experience and you know I noticed in my mind going over it and over it and over it just in those few minutes even you know what did I do what could I have done did I do it right did I do it wrong did she tell me everything did, you know she's doing the same thing you know but then in a the moment remembering to, to open to what, what's, what's going on to actually connect with what is happening and uh, it was so powerful when I did that it was like the, the, the enormity of the pain of, uh, of what I was feeling in that moment just rushed in. When I stopped, you can watch the mind come up with all kinds of things to try to get away from that. And all the figuring out and going over and the rules and the regulations and did I do it right and did she tell it right and all of that is this subtle little way to actually get away from what's actually happening, you know. And in that moment, it, like, it just went, you know, it just went in. And uh, I just, you know, burst out crying, you know. It's like, the, the cat's dead, you know. It's like really feeling the, the pain of that, the loss of that, that this is what happens, you know. These things happen. And that's the potential, I think, that he's talking about here, to, to, to connect with pain, to connect with the experience of pain and loss and birth and sickness and aging and death and all of that uh, is not like this morbid, morbid thing, you know, that he's getting at in the first noble truth, for example, but actually a, an invitation to really feel and get it that it's like this. <laughs> it's like this. And the direct experience of that constitutes insight into dukkha. It constitutes a very profound realization of the way that it is. And it completely short-circuits any bit in us that wants it to be otherwise. You know, can you feel that? It's like that, that bit that, uh, no, you know, it's, I don't want it to be like this. And, and yet, he's saying that that is the suffering open to the actual experience of it. And, I mean, all that I can say is that the actual direct experience of what happened, yes, very painful, but also incredibly present and authentic and real. 
such that um, there's this twisted kind of joy in it, you know, a presence uh, that I wouldn't have anticipated, you know, with just this simple kind of opening to the actual experience of difficulty. You know, very real and very freeing moment. So I think this is part of the promise of what he's saying in this kind of opening. Now, you could understand that we would have difficulty opening to pain. But there's this, a complementary difficulty in opening to pleasure. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, but when you start to watch it, it's so true. It's like the, the experience of pleasure is so delightful um, that in a finger snap, we're into this experience of wanting more. And that movement of the mind into wanting more is actually pulling us out of the pleasure. You know, and, and, and maybe this is coming from a greedy type, but you know, it's like it's a, a little carrot to dangle. You know, if you stop doing that, I promise you a lot more pleasure. <laughs> you know, a, a lot more happiness derived from this experience of pleasure because one isn't moving away from it. You know, one is is actually allowing the fullness of it. But to come face to face with pleasure involves coming face to face with the the insight into impermanence. You know, because it doesn't last. But, you know, and that's what I think we're kind of trying to get away from in the movement into getting more. You you can feel it, can you feel it, right? It's right there. It's like, get more, get more, get more. Well, well, what if you know that there isn't any getting more? You know, what if you know that it, it's not like that? It's just waves of happiness and sadness, and we're experiencing them. You know, then you can you can just kind of let yourself go into it, and it's like, ooh, you know, it's like, this is great, and now it's over. You know, and ooh, this is great, and now it's over, and and that there's just so much delight in that. You know, life is like full of so much pleasure. Uh, you know, we don't, we, we're missing it. We're actually missing it because of the tendency, the strong tendency towards greed, towards getting more, or towards holding on to it, you know. Uh, it's, it's sad, you know, because I, I think a, a lot of people suffer from unhappiness. That is, in a way, it's so unnecessary. There's just so much happiness. There's so much delight. And there'll be a lot more when we can open to pleasure, but also open to the truth of impermanence. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't last, but that's okay. You know, it's, like, it's good enough. You can't, it's like you can't, you can't linger in pleasure forever anyway. You know? it's, it, it, would, it would start to hurt <laughs> after a while. You know? Well, a friend and I used to do this just to explore um, pleasure. Uh, we, we had what we called our ice cream, uh, Ben and Jerry's in particularly, uh, meditation, where you know, <laughs> you'd sit, get a, each get a container of Ben and Jerry's and sit across the table from each other, you know, and just take a, a, a spoonful of it and watch and, you know, learn about pleasure from it. Learn about it. You know, it's, it's, well, you can learn about a whole lot of things from this meditation. <laughs> it's huge. I, I really highly recommend it. <laughs> you put some put something really delicious in your mouth, you know, and just watch what happens. It's fascinating. It's like 
you know, we, we would watch how that, that impulse to get more was so strong that that would still be in your mouth and the hand would be going towards the next scoop. You know, it's like, uh, and I think actually part of that was interesting to notice. Part of that is also not seeing impermanence. You know, it is delicious, but it, then it goes, it, it, the mind will already go to another form of consciousness. You can have it in your mouth and you're thinking about it instead of tasting it or looking at it instead of tasting it. So, you know, it, it kind of just in that movement of consciousness, uh, you, you sort of lose it. But also just the experience of the pleasure is, is these waves. And so you can see this movement to constantly be trying to make it get more because we want that pleasant feeling to last. You know, it's very fascinating to watch it. And watch what happens if you obstruct it in any way. You know, we would reach across the table and hold each other's hands, you know, not let the other one go, get more, you know, watch, watch what happens. And that. It's very, very interesting, you know, you, you see how aversion and uh, uh, hatred can be born out of frustration. <laughs> <laughs> Having your, your wish for pleasure frustrated in one way or another. <laughs> it's really funny. But very, very rich practice in, in getting to see this movement and learning to stay with pleasure. And actually, I found over the years that it ends up being a, a great way to um, stop taking so much. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, we, we keep, we, lots of times we might overeat because we want the pleasant taste. We want the pleasure to keep going. And it's like, this is, eating is not something that belongs to, you know, this category. Is it? Yes, it's pleasant, but, you know, you eat to nourish the body and uh, not to keep pleasure going, you know. But that gets distorted in the attachment, uh, the clinging to, to pleasant feeling. So, you know, I encourage you to try that one out. It's a very, very rich, rich area of practice. Now, I think um, it has to be said that... Um, we, we can take comfort in, in the, the realization here that while there's no guarantee that good feelings will last or that they'll even happen, um, it's also true that they're unavoidable. So really taking that to heart and recognizing that a lot of the frenzy around getting pleasant feeling is coming from not realizing this. You know, remember this bumper sticker a number of years back that said poop happens, you know? I always thought at the time that something complimentary should be put out there, that pleasure happens. You know, it, it happens. <laughs> and it seems to happen in inverse proportion to how much I want it to happen. You know, it's like this is longing for it to happen is actually one of the biggest obstacles. You know, if you just get that out of the way, then uh, we'll notice the, the parade of it, the constant parade of it. There, there are these wonderful happy feelings and they will happen whether we like it or not <laughs> it's amazing you know like one of the one of the stories that i loved um i don't know if any of you saw babette's feast a number of years ago it's this great film and there's so many things in it that were good but the one that really got me was um when babette wanted to make a, a dinner for this this um uh, religious group and they were very concerned about sensory pleasures and they, they really did not want to allow themselves to experience sense pleasures because, um, and actually, you know, there's, that, that can be quite skillful, you know, um, but uh, 
you know, they, they were uh, afraid of movement into, um, you know, diabolical states out of that or something, you know. And uh, so inadvertently, um, they had accepted this invitation for her to make this wonderful, this dinner, but they didn't know what a fabulous cook she was. And uh, so as they saw her preparations and realized the great uh, effort that was going into this and the fact that this was going to be a hugely delicious feast, you know, they became very frightened. And they made a determination among themselves that they would go ahead and let her do it and they would go ahead and eat the food but they were not going to talk about it and they were not going to enjoy it, you know. <laughs> and so this, but this was a quiet little pact that they made on the side. But it was fascinating. What, what got me about this scene where, okay, so they followed through on that. But then um, in the eating of it, it was delicious. It was pleasant. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about that, you know. <laughs> And so you could see during the course of this that what was happening since they had determined not to acknowledge that and to try not to feel it, but because the pleasure was there all the same, it got internalized, you know, and they started to have all these great happy feelings, you know, and they were uh, making up for past wounds and past offenses and uh, during the course of the meal, this one was apologizing to that one and fixing this little exchange and all, you know, so like these happy feelings were coming out in other ways, you know, because they weren't expressing it through uh, delight in the food. You know, it was, it was a great scene to see. You can't avoid it. it, it things will make you happy, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> Pleasure arises out of conditions and the conditions uh, do exist. They'll be there. You know, you don't have to control it. You don't have to make it happen. And actually, this came as a great surprise to me in my own practice, um, you know, because I always thought I could make it happen, you know. And, and, and I think we get deluded about this because there's a lot of things that you can do to establish conditions that will make it, uh, that, uh, that are appropriate conditions to uh, induce pleasant feelings, you know. Oh, we're all going to get together. We're going to go to this restaurant. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, you know, we're going to have such a great time. And, and lots of times we do. And so that, just that little thing in there can delude us about the extent of our control over pleasure. You know, but you just have to contemplate that a little bit to realize that you can do all of that and it might not happen, right? You know, we've all had that experience. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why we can have such difficulty, like around the holidays or special family events and things like this. Everybody is so hyped for pleasure, you know. And somebody says something crosswise, or you know, does that thing they do, or something like that, <laughs> and the whole the whole system falls apart, you know, because it it's not in um, the setting up of conditions. It may or may not happen, you know even if everything is right for it to happen. And it, it, and it may it may just be that we're not there for it. I mean, you know, I've certainly done that one a lot, where you just uh, check out in one reason or for one way or another. Either maybe you have a headache and you're in pain, or you get distracted and we're thinking about something else altogether, you know. There's, there's been lots of times, for example, where I might have prepared a great meal and then, you know, sit down um, in front of the television or something to watch it, you know, to watch te- television while I'm eating the meal. And then it's like, 
all of a sudden the, the news is over, the, the plate is empty, and I didn't experience either of them, you know. It's like what, what, that kind of phenomenon, you know. You, you're setting it up, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen because you're not there. Not there for it. So just noticing these kinds of things. I think this is all in the realm of very, very rich and interesting practice. And then the crux of it is that the, the wisdom will arise when we stop trying to manipulate the world so that it's a, it's a pleasant place all the time, you know, so that we, we can avoid the difficulty all of the time. And this is really the, the middle way. You know, the, the wise person doesn't make a problem out of either of these extremes. The wise person just lets it be what it is. So we need to say something about neither pleasure nor um, uh, uh, displeasure. And uh, one of my teachers says that this is really most of life. This is really, you know, he says 98%. And you can quarrel with that percentage if you like. But I think it's, a, it's an important uh, point, you know, that it's, it's really most of it. Um, and much of it he refers to as the ordinary, you know, just the ordinariness of life. And uh, it's from not seeing that and from not getting that that we're scrambling so much to make pleasure happen and to avoid pain. And so that you can see the huge potential in opening to neither pleasure nor pain. Just opening to the fact that, you know, brushing teeth, combing hair, going grocery shopping, you know, uh, ironing clothes, shaving, whatever, you know, that... This is a lot of it, and, and to be there for it um, is, a, is very, very, very rich, you know. Uh, what happens is that we're walking around in a daze most of the time because we're not really connecting with that simple uh, reality and just getting lost in wanting it to be some other way or just lost in the dullness of it all. And I think this is especially important in our culture because, um, you know, we, we have to realize that our, our culture really preys on, on this uh, kind of uh, uh, lack of stimulation, that, that the situation where nothing much is happening and pre- presents all, dangles all kinds of things to um, lure us uh, out of this uh, ordinariness of life, you know, um, to, and, and um, to encourage us to seek stimulation, <laughs> that that's better somehow. You know, and you just you just watch this over the months and years of practice. You can feel the enormous itch that we're conditioned to live in. You know, just out of not opening to um, nothing, <laughs> nothing much happening. My, my teacher says to, to actually make a practice out of being bored. <laughs> just uh, allow that experience and linger with it. And find a way to be okay with it. Because it, it, and it'll cease being boredom. It'll just be the way it is, you know. Which is fine. You know, it's, I, I love that. I've actually found that to be a very rich um, area of practice. Just to, to drop down into the body. To drop into the actual experience of, of life being what it is right now. You know, whatever that is. So the, the idea here then is to notice this tendency to go towards pleasure, to want more. Notice the tendency to get away from the difficult, to want less of that. And notice the unskillful ways that we 
relate to um, nothing, to, to neither pleasure nor pain happening. And, and just try to stay with those feelings. Just try to stay with that experience and, and trust it. You know, a lot is happening in practice and just doing that, that can be huge. And I think it has to be said that what the Buddha is saying here too is that it is like an invitation in the doing of the practice like this that you begin to open to these wonderful states that are buried, uh, you know, in the scramble to, to get more and get away, you know. And uh, one, of them, one of them just has to do with being able to be with pleasant feeling and not have to have more of it. You know, this is, this is huge. I, I did a practice for a little while just going around to shops that I love you know, and just noticing things and, um, that I like and recognizing that that tendency is strong and that it's okay. That I can look at all these beautiful things and I can like them and not have to have them. You know, get, making that discernment and in the doing of that, there was this, oh God, this is wonderful feeling of appreciation and contentment. Like not, 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 um, having to have means you can appreciate what is. <laughs> it's a very rare state, actually, because of the potential, the tendency towards greed. Appreciation and contentment are not common. Finding things unpleasant and not having to get away from them. You know, just connecting with that. What does that feel like? What is the experience of that? And this is actually the inroad right here to um, these wonderful states of um, compassion and uh, endurance and patience. You know, just to be able to be with difficulty. Wow. (laughs) That's a very mature state of mind, to be able to be with difficulty. And we find in the doing of that, um, right there, in the wisdom and the capacity to do that, right there lives the compassion. You know, the, the, the heart just naturally opens and wants to, wants to comfort and bring about ease and not out of, an, not out of aversion. It's, can you feel that? It's not out of aversion when we're really open to it. It's out of compassion and understanding. You know, that's, that's huge. That's beautiful. And, and the last one, finding things neither pleasant nor unpleasant and not uh, having to check out, <laughs> you know, not moving into dull and dreamy states around that, just feeling that. That, to me, that experience has been one of um, establishing a certain peace of mind, you know, a certain tranquility. It's like, it's okay. It's, it's, not, the, it's not great, it's not awful, it's just kind of, mm, and it's fine. And this is actually the, the companion or the way that we mature into equanimity. It's this beautiful state of, of being okay with things as they are, not having to quarrel with anything. So I uh, offer you these thoughts uh, this morning. I, I hope they're helpful in your practice and uh, uh, in, maybe in some small way conduce to some greater happiness for you. Thank you.